Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Hallelujah. Well, isn't it great to have Mother's Day today? You know, I think that uh, people today I know are going to be taking their wives and their moms out for maybe dinner afterwards, uh, may do like Peter did and buy some flowers for them or a special gift. And uh, you know, the only sad thing about it is, is we ought to be doing this every day and not once a year. And uh, all the moms, y'all just missed a great opportunity to say amen. But I found this little thing that I wanted to read a little bit of it to you maybe. I don't know how many of them I'll call out, but it was about the job description for mothers. Has anybody ever heard that before? Job descriptions for mothers. And uh, it says here, number one, it, it is a permanent job. In other words, it's not something that you're going to do just uh, for a weekend. Uh, when you sign up for this job, it's permanent. You can't get out of it. It's there. Uh, permanent job. Second thing it says, the successful applicant must be prepared to work hard. So if you're going to be a mother, just know one thing. You're going to work hard. The workplace is often a challenging and a chaotic environment. How many mothers have found that to be the case? Applicants must possess excellent communication and organizational skills. If you're going to be a mother, you've got to know how to communicate well, and you've got to know how to organize well, and be willing to work a variety of hours, which includes evenings and weekends and 24-hour shifts and to be on call at all times. That's what mothers do. You have to also understand that there is extensive chauffeuring duties. It is mandatory that you will do some overnight travel. That includes camping trips maybe in the rain, and especially sporting tournaments in faraway places. So you will be traveling quite an off, quite a bit. You must be willing to bite your tongue repeatedly. Mom's the job description says you must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from zero to sixty in three seconds flat. Because the screams from the backyard might be real this time and not just the kids playing or crying wolf. You must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as gadget repair, fixing sluggish toilets, and unsticking stuck zippers. You must be able to screen phone calls, maintain calendars, coordinate production of multiple homework projects, must be able to plan and organize social gatherings for all ages, must be willing to be indispensable one minute and an embarrassment the other. <laughs> See, what does that mean? Mama, 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 gotta have you, gotta have you, can't do without you, and then as soon as you pull up at the schoolhouse and you get dropped off, you don't even turn and say hi, bye, I love you, kiss you, hug you, nothing, you're gone. Oh, you're embarrassed of me now. You weren't embarrassed of me when you asked me for $20. You must be able to assemble and product safety testing of hundreds of toys and all kind of battery-operated devices. You must be responsible for floor maintenance, laundering, janitorial work throughout the place of the employment, being your home. No previous experience required, though. All of it is on-the-job training and is offered on a continual, exhausting basis. You'll pay every bill for your child, at least until they turn 18. And then when you die, you give them what you got left. <laughs> and the strangest thing about this reverse salary scheme is that you should enjoy it. 
and wish you could have done more. There is no pension. There's no tuition reimbursement. There's no paid holidays. And no bonuses are offered. This job supplies limitless opportunities for free hugs for life. If you play your cards right. How many of you moms can relate to this job description? Because that's you. Moms do make a difference. Amen? John Quincy Adams says, All that I am, my mother made me. Dwight Moody said, All that I ever accomplished in my life, I owe it to my mother. And Abraham Lincoln said something similar to John Adams. He says, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my mother. You know, moms are so, so important. And how many of you know that if we're going to honor our mothers, it ought to be in the Bible? Well, do you know it is? So today, honoring mothers is scriptural. It says it in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land in which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I used to translate that, if you don't honor your mom and dad, you're probably not going to live very long. They will kill you. They brought you in this world, and they can take you out. But that's not the case. It says, honor thy father and thy mother. And so today what we're doing is we're honoring mothers. We're going to use the word of God to do it and to, to show you that, that this is all scriptural of honoring our mothers. You know, people don't know how to honor each other anymore. They, they, it's, it's lost. But we need to honor our parents. You know, it was back in 1914 that President Woodrow Wilson announced by an act of Congress, he proclaimed that the second Sunday in, Mar in May would become Mother's Day. And it was set aside. And he declared it as a day for the public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. That's what he said about it. And then he goes on and said this, It has been said that no nation is greater than its mothers, for they are the makers of the next generation. That's a big job. A very big job that doesn't pay very well. But it's a big job. And you know what? God's equipped you as moms to do so. He supplied you with, with the power, that, that grace, to be that enablement to be able to do whatever needs to be done, whether it's to leap over high mountains or algebra. You know, it doesn't matter. God has equipped you to do it. You just have to walk in that power. Here it is, 108 years later after this day was set aside by President Wilson. But you know what? The statement's still true. We're to honor our mothers. For it is the future of our next generation. The way our mothers are training up our children is the way our nation is going. But there's something sad about all this because did you know that most people would agree, whether they're Christian or not, that we're living in a time that the influence of the biblical Christianity, what it once had on our nation and our culture, has diminished. At one time, Christianity had a large impact upon our nation. Here we are 108 years later, and I wonder if Christians from 100 and 200 years ago would even recognize the church. And I'm not speaking about the lack of biblical knowledge only. And I'm also talking about the morality of our nation, where our nation has gone. The educational process. What are we teaching our children? K-3, we're, 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 through kindergarten through third grade, we're going to teach them, you've seen the news, all kind of things that they don't need to know. They need to know how to play marbles and, and pick up their marbles or whatever, you know, games. But yet they're trying to teach our children in kindergarten and through third grade uh, gender identity. My goodness, I'm 67 years old, and I just found out last week who I am, okay? We're going to teach this to five-year-olds. But our country has lost some things in the educational process, and 
social interaction, how we interact with each other. Well, one time when I was being raised in the 50s and 60s, that other millennium, everybody had respect for each other. I was raised that if the guy was the town drunk, you said yes, sir, and no, sir, to him. Because he was an elder. You don't judge him why he's the way he is, but you better be respectful. And if you're not, and I find out that you were that way, disrespectful, you, 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 you were in for a spanking when you got home. We don't see that today. Young people just walk up and slap a veteran or whatever and try to take his money from him. Would our country recognize the world that we're in today in our country? We need mothers to be strong mothers. Strong mothers. Raise children correctly, right. It may be one of the most important things that, I've, that the people from back 100 and 200 years ago may not recognize is parenting, today's parenting. I believe we've lost some things in that that the church especially needs to come back and grab a hold of because we're dealing with the future. We're dealing with a nation. We're dealing with their families and their children and how do you go about this? And, nobody, and everybody here knows that the mother plays the greatest role when it comes to parenting. They're going to be the ones imparting more than anybody else, more than the dad. They have more avenue to step in than the teachers and they need to do so. You see, what I believe has happened is that secular humanism, that reasoning that they have, has crept into homes and has replaced biblical truth, which we are to establish our homes and our families on. It has come in so subtle we haven't really noticed it. It's taken a process of time. And a few people that are as old as I am, you will know that back in the 60s, TV programs, commercials, nothing ever, ever had a sexual overtone. Ricky Ricardo slept in a separate bed than his wife. Why? Because it's TV. What do we see today? Where have we evolved to? So it comes in so subtle into our children through different media, forms. And it's taking shape. It's, it's, it's grabbing a hold of their minds, just as it did mine and yours. But there's things that are happening that they don't even, they're not aware of. And it's up to us as parents, especially you mothers, to stay on top of this. A Christian should be one who sees the home the marriage, and parenting in accordance with God's word. In accordance to God's word. He said to do something about it now. How many of you think uh, know that some people have this opinion that, well, you know, I don't want to talk to them about God right now. I'm going to wait and let them make their decision once they become 18, 19, 20 years old. Then they can make their decision. Well, you know, that really wouldn't be that bad if you could get the news media and the secular humanist and everybody else to do the same. But they're not going to. They don't wait. They're bombarding society 24 hours a day. And it's up to us to say, no, son, that, this is what the Word says. This is what the Bible says. This is what's true. That stuff you're hearing has been changing and changing and evolving for, for millenniums. Whatever somebody wants to do, they'll find a way to make it right. And then, then glorify it and get you to want to partake in it. But this is what God's Word says. It's unchangeable. It's permanent. It's for eternity. The truth of God's Word should not only shape our beliefs and practices in all areas of our life, but it ought to be the very absolutes that guide us through life. It shouldn't just be something, oh, yeah, yeah, we heard something about that at church. 
No, it ought to be the absolutes. Not something that's, eh, take it whether or not trendy. No, it's an absolute, and we use this to guide our life. Not something that we just heard. How many of you know that our opinions and beliefs are to line up with what God's Word says? And the problem today is that our minds have been darkened by secularism and sin to the point where a lot of folks can't tell the difference between biblical and secular. Don't even know the difference. Well, I thought that was, I thought that was okay. That's because it's been pushed at you since before you were born. We expect from the world this type of behavior, but the same thing is happening in the church house as well. Same thing's taking place inside the church. The trend that is taking place in the church and the church folks acknowledge that God and his word are, are, are supreme. They, they recognize that, but they fail to see the need to subject their personal opinions, their reasonings and emotions to what the scripture says about life. And we don't submit to it. We acknowledge it is true. We acknowledge it's from God. But we don't do anything with it. We don't line our lives up with it. And that comes all the way over into our homes and how we raise our children. Because if we're not going to live it, then we're not the example before our children. So they look at it and say, it must not be important. I learned it at church. They said it. But you know what? I don't see it. So it can't be real. If it was real, they surely mom and dad would do it if it was real. We read things like Romans 12, 2, which says, Be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we think it applies only to our moral, moral behavior. But not to things like marriage. It doesn't apply to things like work ethic. It doesn't apply to honesty. It doesn't apply to how we raise our children. We think it's just about changing what our thinking about something else. It's our whole life. Raising our children should not be the same way the world's raising their children. Buy them an iPad or a phone or something. Just let that entertain them. Don't, don't take the time to read them anything out of the Bible. Don't talk to them about their day. Don't talk about the adversity they had and the challenges they had at school. Just give them something to pacify them. I hear too many times parents refer to the children's education is it's, there's a whole lot more people saying, I just want to get them through school than they are, I'm interested in their education. I want to know that they're learning. I want to know what they're learning. I want them to be properly prepared. What I hear is this, I just want to get them through school. Just want to get them through school. That's not a play on words. I've been doing this since 1984. That probably makes me a professional at this, wouldn't it? I'd be a, what do you call it? An expert on this. And I've seen it. All these generations coming through this school. People are just wanting now the children to get through school. Just get them through. No, let's get them prepared. Let's get them, let's do them right. Instead of conforming to God's word, we left up teaching our children to talk show host. Let's let the view tell them what's real and what's not real. Let's let some psychiatrist talk to them. Let's let some nasty, filthy mouth comedian explain to them about how they should live. Instead of moms and dads sitting down talking with their children and having part in their life. And if you've got a mom and dad to sit down and talk with you, about things and not just turn you out and just let you do whatever. You have something to be treasured. You have something to be treasured. Because moms like that and dads like that are far and few between now. So young people, if your parents seem to get into your business, that's an honor. It's not a burden. It's an honor. I remember well growing up with a couple of guys one of them's name was Gary, and one of them was Wallace. And uh, their parents didn't really do anything to them. They could stay out as late as they wanted. Now, we're talking about, like, 
12-year-olds. They could come and go whenever they wanted, spend the night off, don't even tell nobody, just, just come and go all the time. And, of course, I wasn't raised that way. And I had curfew that was, you be home at dark. You know, we're young. Uh, I want to know where you are. Where are you going? What's their phone number? What's their mom and daddy's name in case I need to call? Where do they live? That's the way I was raised. And Gary and Walsh used to laugh and make fun of me. They would mock the fact that my mom, dad wanted to know all this stuff because they didn't care. Theirs didn't care. And that bothered me a little bit. And I want to say it was probably about 10 years later. I'm working on a job site. And guess who's out there? Gary and Wallace. Both of them are out there working as well. We sat down one day and we were talking. And one of them spoke up and said, you know, Alan, we made fun of you all the time about your parents. How they always watched you and wanted to know all this stuff. And he says, you know what? We'd have turned out a lot better if we'd had parents like yours. Well, I'm in the ministry today. Isn't that awesome? But they recognized something. They knew it then, and they saw it for real later, that they needed boundaries growing up. They needed parents to be there and hold them accountable and to teach them. They didn't have that. Having said all that, turn with me over to Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Then Amplifies, it says it this way, Train up a child in the way he should go, and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you know this scripture is for mom and dad? It's for both of them. But since we're honoring moms today, uh, we're going to do it from that perspective. How many of you know we're to train our children in every facet of life? Not just in what the Bible says, but in every facet of life. They're to know who they are in Christ and who God is and how he's involved in them. They should, parents should be involved in their education. When he said train them up in the way they should go, their education is part of that. Their social life is part of it. He said teach them about responsibilities. That'd be part of training them up in life, would it not? How about how to manage money? The thing that I find probably most that, that, that kind of bothers me a little bit, no, I didn't say that right, bothers me the most, is the fact that parents are not training up their children in how to face adversity. Let me tell you something. You're going to face adversity. You know it. I know it. The world knows it. Your children know it. Yet we don't prepare them for this. We want to get on their side. Like, oh, baby, it's okay, it's okay. It's, you're to be commended in the fact that you want to protect your children. But if you really want to protect them, there comes a time where there's a gray line and you don't really know and understand everything and you have to look at them and just tell them. You're not always going to be liked in life. You're going to have bosses that don't like you. You're going to have people for no reason whatsoever that don't just despise the air you breathe. And you're going to need to learn to live with that. What they think about you doesn't change who you are in Christ. How they act or do or mistreated you. Maybe they missed it and it was an accident. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to give in to that? You're just going to throw your hands up in the air and quit life and say, well, back in fourth grade, my teacher called me out for talking and I wasn't talking. When I was growing up, my parents would have done this. They'd said, <clears throat> you know the part about respect and authority? Yes, sir. You don't talk back to the teacher. You don't talk back to any authority in front of everybody. 
You just sit there and go ahead and let them say what they're going to say. You don't try to defend yourself. And when class is over, you go to them with all due respect and you say, excuse me, Mrs. Thomas, that wasn't me talking. I wasn't about to challenge you or say anything against what you were saying, getting on to me, but I just want you to know it wasn't me. Why don't we teach our children this? They're going to have adversity. We all know that, right? How are we teaching them to, to confront adversity? Are we doing it in the right way? You know who's going to do it? Schoolhouses aren't doing it. Police department's not doing it. It's up to us as parents to do this. And we've been given a mandate by God to train them up in how to face adversity. Teach them to respect each other and to respect themselves. We're to teach them to, to respect all authority. Not just the police department, but all authority. And we're to develop in them something that most people think is a cuss word, and that is a good work ethic. It's not about how much you can get paid and do the least. It's about how can you do a good job and bring glory to God because you did it is unto Him. But we live in a society today that says, look, get all you can and do the least you can to do it. Teach them to live honest lives, not only before people, but honest to themselves in the midst of a perverse generation. Last but not least, teach them perseverance. Teach them to not to quit, not to give up when it gets tough, but to stand tall and to believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That I can pull upon Him. If He's called me to do it, He'll equip me to do it. He'll provide for me the power, the enablement to be able to do it if He's called me to do it. And if I've been put in that situation that I have to do something, my God is more than enough. Can we not instill that into our children? You don't quit just because they got tough or the, everybody else is quitting. I remember growing up, like some of y'all, well, if everybody else jumps off the, the side of the cliff, are you going to jump off too? Parents, that's our jobs. We're to train them up. Scripture reveals that we should seek the Lord for wisdom and understanding. And we should ask the Lord, Lord, how do I raise up my son? How do I raise up my daughter? You said to do it with their individual bent and their calling. So I'm asking you, Lord, since you know their calling, I don't. Can you give me some insight? to what you're calling them to do so I can start working and, and modifying and my, my behavior and trying to teach them because they're going in a direction and I, I, I need to know how do I do this? The Lord, I remember, told me out there in the country where we lived, I was walking across, I was kind of frustrated a little bit with Peter. Can you imagine that? We'd raised Heidi, everything was great, good. Never a moment's problem. And here I got this little three-year-old. He wants to argue about picking up pine cones or anything. If I wanted him to pick them up, I'd tell him to leave them alone. If I wanted him to go doodle in the dirt, I'd say, stay out of the dirt. And I'm dealing with this, and I'm going around, I'm like, Lord, what's the deal? I've tried everything that I did with Heidi and it worked. He says, he's not Heidi. So, well, what do I do? He said, you train him up in the way he should go. And I said, I ain't got a clue where he's going. What do I do, God? Well, listen, this is part of our job to ask God. Be honest with him. He knows you don't know. We're the ones that don't know. We need to acknowledge that we don't know. And I asked, God, you have to give me wisdom and insight on this because I don't know what he's doing. And he ain't but three years old. He starts noticing things like he's strong-willed. Anybody ever had a strong-willed child? 
Lord says, he's strong-willed. There's your first hint. Should I beat it out of him, God? No, you need to develop that strength that's there. He don't realize that being strong-willed is a strength. You're trying to stop a strength that I place within him. He is to be a leader, and to be a leader, you've got to be strong-willed. You've got to be immovable when everybody else is compromising. You need to develop that in him and not beat it out of him. I said, yes, sir. I realized how dumb I was in parenting. And how I need to start taking time to really pay attention to things in his life. Where he'd become, and he was very sensitive in areas. And I said, Lord, what's that? He said, you need to develop that sensitivity because good leaders need to be sensitive. I said, oh. Well, we tried to do our best. I mean, he turned out the way he did. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But I knew this, that we were going to seek after God, because we knew we didn't know. That's, a, that's something we do as parents. And you can say, what do you do when you got eight children? Call the camps. I don't know. <laughs> but one thing we know is all, mother, all, all of us understand and know that mothers spend more time with their children than their fathers, which means they should have more impact upon their, on their children than anybody else. Now, Marcia, my lovely wife up here, we got the flowers that Heidi didn't give her, <laughs> is a very patient individual. And I'm sure that I've helped develop that in her life. <laughs> Won't go into how that happened, just, just <laughs> she's very patient. But I remember her helping Peter with his homework calling out his spelling words, doing projects and checking his homework. Then there was time she'd asked me to help. To be quite honest, we, we all hated that time. Every one of us did. I'd be all ready to start. Say, okay, bring it to me. He'd bring me his homework. I'd get it. This is page three. Where's one and two? And he would panic. He'd go running through the house, run to his bedroom, tear it all apart, trying to find page one and two. Got to go to the car, see if it's under the seat, check my book bag, did this, go to the living room, go out to the porch. Where else could I have been? I don't know what happened to it, Dad. Do you know what that does to me? We don't start on page three. We start on page one. So when you get page one and two together, then you come see me. That was it. Or calling out spelling words. My favorite. I'm watching him. I call out a word and he's, Will! Uh, and he's, he's calling it out, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, you're going to take a spelling test seated in your chair. You need to learn to spell seated in your chair, not dancing in the floor. But it, Mama let him do it, so... I'm trying to behave, just, just, just stay focused. Or about the third word did he miss out of 25? I just say, you don't know it. Go do it. I want you to write it till you know it. Because see, in me, back then, I figured that if you could go and sit down by yourself at the kitchen table and write all 25 of them without anybody calling them, then you know them. But if I have to call them out slowly so you can get the hint of what it is, you don't know what you're guessing. So don't bother me until you know it. And when you come to me and say, I need to check my spelling, I'll say, okay. Go sit at the kitchen table and write all of them. You don't need me to call them out to you. If you really know them, I don't need to call them. Mama, though, patient mama, didn't do that. So nobody liked it when I did homework with my son, Peter. I could have done better. Probably should have done better. I'm just glad I don't have to do it now. (laughs) This morning, I just want to bring out to you, there's a fellow in the Bible named Timothy. Two books written with his name, 
He didn't write either one of them. Paul wrote them. Letters to Timothy. But where did Paul meet Timothy? Paul met Timothy on his first missionary trip that he went out on. Met him over at a place called Derby at Lystra where he uh, went out there where there was no churches. Paul was not a traveling minister going from church to church doing evangelistic work. That wasn't what was happening. He was out there. There was no church. And he comes across a fellow named Timothy. Now, now this area is called Turkey, where this all took place. And Timothy's mother was a Jew, but his daddy was a Greek. Which meant the Jew, the mama, Eunice, was going to teach tradition of the Jewish faith to him. And daddy didn't care. Never is it recorded. Over in Acts 16, 1, it tells us that his daddy was a Greek. In other words, he didn't have anything to do with it, with, his, with, it, with anything dealing with God. No words it recorded. Matter of fact, it leads us more to believe that daddy just did what daddy wanted to do and mama just stayed married to him. Which probably implies also there was times where daddy, being a Greek, couldn't understand why mama, being a Jew, wanted to do things as under the Lord like give to the poor. What do you mean you gave our milk money away? Mock them. So today's society, we have many single moms raising children, or maybe their husbands, but the husbands aren't believers. They don't understand. And they're, having, they're in churches. But here's a, a couple, a, a mother, who raised a son named Timothy, who like I said, came with a father that was not a believer, but yet didn't turn out bad. Matter of fact, on Paul's second missionary trip, he went by there and asked Timothy, hey, Timothy, you want to go with me? And so he did. He went to Macedonia. He went to Corinth. He went to uh, several other places, to Ephesus. He even went to Jerusalem. And then he visited Paul when he was in prison. Ended up in prison himself for preaching the gospel. Wow. Later on became the pastor of, of the church at Ephesus. And I say this all about Timothy, because I want you to understand what Paul, how he felt about Timothy, okay? Listen to this. I'm going to read it to you out of the message translation. It's over in uh, Philippians 2, verse 19, out of the message. It says, I plan to send Timothy to you very soon so he can bring back all the news of you he can gather. Oh, how that will do my heart good. I have no one quite like Timothy. He's loyal and genuine concern for you. Most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern for things of Jesus. But you know yourself that Timothy is the real thing. He's been a devoted son to me as together we've delivered the message. As soon as I see how things are going to fall out for me, here, I plan to send him off. And then I'm hoping and praying to be right on his heels. He's saying that Timothy is the real deal. Now my question to you is, where did Timothy get this real deal faith? Where is it? Who imparted into Timothy these traits? We find in 2 Timothy... Chapter 1, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. And then he says this to Timothy. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in your grandma, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in thee also. What did he just say? He says, I've noticed this thing, this unfeigned faith. The word feigned means is the Greek word plastos, which where we get our word plastic from. In other words, it's fake. It's not real. He said, I've noticed something about your grandma Lois. 
She had real faith. I noticed something about your mother Eunice. She had real faith. And I believe that you got real faith in you. And it's because they've imparted it into you. Now, he wasn't a traveling evangelist. He actually lived there with them for quite some time to establish a church. In other words, he knew them. Not how they acted when they came to church, but he knew them. And he came to the conclusion, that woman's got real faith. That grandma has imparted real faith into her daughter, Eunice. And Eunice and Lois has imparted real faith into their son, Timothy, even though his daddy ain't even there to help. Oh, my goodness. Marcia said, being Mother's Day, y'all wouldn't mind getting out early. I'll try to remember that. The Amplifier says it this way. I'm calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith, the leaning of your entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, his wisdom, and his goodness, a faith that first lived permanently in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am fully persuaded dwells in you. There was an impartation placed within Timothy by his grandmother and his mother that was what one of confidence and trust in the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the goodness of God. It didn't come because he went to school and got it there. It didn't come from the neighborhood club. It didn't come from his... It came from mama and grandma. You have the largest influence, the largest area of influence in your children if you'll take it. If you'll take it. Take advantage of it. Then in verse 6 it says, That is why... What do you mean that is why? Because of this real faith that's been imparted unto you. Not a fake faith. Not a Sunday go to church faith. But a real faith that you live on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And participate in on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. That real faith. Because it was imparted to you by the living example of your grandma and your ma. I would remind you to stir up that gift of faith that's in you like you would a fire that's going out. You stir those, ash, those, those embers up to get it to going again. That is by the means of laying on the hands. You stir that up that's in you, that gift of God. Now Paul said, now Timothy, stir that real faith up. Stir it up, stir it up. Do it like your grandma did it. Do it like your mama did it. Have the faith in the anointing of God and the anointed one, Jesus. Do it with complete trust. Do it with confidence in God. And do it in the goodness and the mercy of God. For that's your example. This is how you were raised. This is who you are. You see, Timothy was going through a rough time. Some people was coming against him. Because he was young. And the older Jewish people would be trying to tell him what to do and so forth. And he was kind of like being timid. Kind of holding back. What I'd say about perseverance and adversity. Paul goes on and says, For God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, of cowardness, of craving, or cringing and falling in fear. He gave you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind a calm and well-balanced mind, a disciplined mind, one of self-control. Mm. He wasn't exempt from adversity, and neither are you, and neither are your children. So we need to teach our children, by example, how to overcome adversity. By example. Don't just tell them to do something. Live it before them. Live how to overcome before your children. Don't make excuses for them. Encourage them to trust God and receive the wisdom of God. Get in there and say, look, I don't know some, but let's get down here and let's ask God for some wisdom.
Let's ask God for some understanding about this thing. Let's ask God for some insight. Let's ask him for the empowerment to overcome this obstacle. We're not going to go in there and say, well, I'll just quit. Let's just make an excuse. It's the teacher's fault. It's everybody else's fault. How's that going to work out for you later? When the next adversity comes, we're going to quit again? Let's just teach them to be quitters. Mm -mm. He said, do not blush or be ashamed then to testify to and for our Lord, nor of me a prisoner for his sake, but with me, say with me, take your share of the suffering to which the preaching of the gospel may expose you to do, but do it in the power of God. Didn't say just get in there and do the best you can and be slapped up one side of the face and on the other side of the face and be a little wimp and quit and take your tail and drag it in between your legs and go on hide. He didn't say that. He said you stand there and you deal with this adversity and you do it face forward and you do it in the power of God. In other words, you're going to love your way through it. Hmm? No, you ain't going to fight your way through it. You're going to love your way through this thing. I just want to say thank you for y'all's enthusiasm this morning. <laughs> Our children are going to deal with peer pressure, not just while they're growing up, but they're dealing with it in their teenage years. They're going to deal with it when they go to college. And they're going to deal with it in their adult life just like you have to deal with it on a daily basis yourself. Peer pressure never goes away. It's always there. Am I going to try to keep up with the Smiths and the Joneses? Am I going to try to get the promotion that somebody else got? And 1999 just keeps on going and going and going and going. Peer pressure just changes its look. And if you don't teach them how to deal with peer pressure at this age, they're not going to know how to do it when they get older. It's up to us, parents. We should look at every obstacle our kids go through as an opportunity to instill into them who they are in Christ. That's our jobs. And we ought to be glad and happy of it. Don't run from an obstacle. Run towards it. Say, let's deal with this. What did God say? What does the Word say? Do you trust God? Do you really trust it? Yeah. Well, then let's walk it out, son. I'll walk it with you. Because if mama and daddy will walk it with them, they really don't care about everybody else. Peer pressure. Mm. Let them know people will mock you. It's just going to happen. They'll talk about you in front of you. They'll talk about you behind you. They'll mock your, your lifestyle. They'll mock your beliefs and all the rest. But if they're going to mock you, you need to stand in the power of God. If not, you're going to end up doing just what they do. You'll be provoked to want to mock them back, and you don't do that. Do you suppose Eunice's husband, being a Greek, ever mocked her? I bet he did, and I bet he did it in front of Timothy as well. Probably did it in front of his mother-in-law, Lois. You know who was watching? Timothy. Timothy's wanting to know, how are you going to respond, Mom, to that? I want to see the power of God and the goodness of God in this one. Because your example is going to teach me how to be towards my wife. He says, for it is he who delivered and saved us and called us with a calling in itself holy and leading to holiness to a life of consecration and vocation of holiness. He did it, not because of anything of merit that we have done, but because of and to further his own purpose and grace, his unmerited favor, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began eternal ages ago. God has already equipped us. He's already provided the, the grace. He's already provided the favor. He's already provided everything we're ever going to have need of before the foundations of the earth. What we have to do is 
learn and recognize it, grab a hold of it, walk in it. And as we do so, our children are watching. And we teach them. This is what the Word says. No, we're not going to cheat on our taxes. I know other people do that. We're not, we're not other people. We do what the Word says. We're going to do what the Word says. And for real fast, I'll just go ahead and throw this in here. It says, two chapters later, Paul's still writing. It says, but as for you, Timothy, continue to hold to the things that you've learned and of which you're convinced, knowing from whom you learned them. Hmm. Remember the faith of your mother. Remember the faith of your grandmother. You have experienced victory firsthand already. Isn't that amazing? He says, continue to hold to the things that you've learned. When did he learn it? This age? All the way through? That's when he learned it. Who imparted it into him? His grandmother, Lois, and his mama Eunice. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I hear the word Eunice, I think of Carol Burnett. And I'm having a real hard time with that right now. I just have to be honest with you. Am I the only one that knows what? Be quiet, Eunice. Here comes Tim Conway. <clears throat> it says, and, from, and how from your childhood, verse 15, and how from your childhood you have had a knowledge of and been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to instruct you and give you the understanding for salvation, which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, through the leaning of the entire human personality on God in Christ Jesus, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. His grandmother and his mother were examples on how to live trusting Jesus. Are you getting it? And from your childhood, it says, you've had this knowledge. Well, we know that he didn't get it from Paul then. He must have got it from his grandma and his mom. In every scripture that they taught you growing up is God-breathed, given by inspiration and profitable for instruction, for reproof, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline and obedience and for the training in righteousness and holy living and conformity to God's will in thought, purpose, and action. It is not about receiving a star in children's church. It's about real life. It's about real life and facing real life with real faith, with God's power, His mercy, His grace, His goodness, and facing it head on, not backing down, not cowarding away, but facing it. Moms, it goes on and it says, so that the man of God, your sons, your daughters, your children, may be complete and proficient, well-fitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we don't do this, then we didn't thoroughly furnish them and equip them and complete their education. So, you'll be surprised, moms, how much influence you have on your children. They're watching. Statistics say that it's a great uh, number that, they, that, uh, that the children will say, they may not say it to your face, but moms are the grandest thing to ever have. You say, what would you change about your mother? Most of them would say nothing. Now, they wouldn't say that to you. But that's what they tell others. Through researches that they've done. So what, would you, what would you change about your mother? Most of them say nothing. And then they would like ask them a question like, well, do you and your mom get along? Well, not always. So you wouldn't change anything, though? No. I know I'm wrong. I know I just wanted what I wanted. She was just being consistent. Wow. You know, Deuteronomy tells us to train up our children and teach them when we sit down, when we walk, when we lie down, and when we get up. And it says we do this that we can 
that their days will be multiplied in the days of your children will also in the land that the Lord swore to give us. We do all this with a thought in mind that we're training up another generation to walk in God's commandments, His ordinances, His statutes, and to receive the blessings from God that come with doing so. Psalm 78, 22 says this, I will open my mouth in a parable, in instruction by numerous examples, I will utter dark sayings of old that hide important truth. Moms, don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Take your time. It goes on and it says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell them of the generations to come the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and his might and his wonderful works that he has performed. We're to share our testimony with our children and with our grandchildren. They can't learn about your testimonies at school. They're not being taught about the faithfulness of God in most schools. I like being able to get, when the family gets together at the house, and we all get in there in the kitchen, and I can stop and I can say, Mom will say, well, won't you go ahead and bless the food, Dad? I can say, well, let me just tell you about something. I'll give a testimony of something that happened in our life, whether part of when Jesus came in that room that night or, or uh, casting out a devil somewhere or something. Why? Because, see, when are they going to hear it if I don't tell them? It's an opportunity. They ain't going nowhere. The food's right there. I got them. And share with them how real God is, how powerful his word is, and how much they need it. They don't need a wimp parent. They need a strong, believing, active, obedient parent. They got friends. They need you. And last but not least, the Bible says, and all you young people are like, please don't say, don't spare the rod. I'm not going to. It says, let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't allow yourself to get weary. Be strong. Know that you did right. And moms, dads, One of the greatest things that you could ever tell your children is to tell them you don't know. This is your first time as well. You've never been a parent before. You've never had to deal with this before. Tell them you're trying to do the best you can. That you love them. You don't want to make a mistake. And ask them, say, Would you, do you trust me? You want me to trust you. Do you trust me as your parent? I'm doing the best I can. Can you get in the floor with me and pray and let's ask God together to give me wisdom and how to deal with this situation, how to raise you, what the perimeter should be about, what time you should come in and go from the house and, 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 and all of those things. Would you? I've never done this before. So can you give me a little slack? That's a very important thing to learn and to remember as your children are growing up. You don't know either. Grab a hold of it. Be honest with them. Be honest with them. And the things that you do know, that's your testimony. Share with them what the testimony is. Moms, I appreciate all that you do raising up this next generation. All the impartations that you're putting in them. Living that life before them. And so with every head bowed and eye closed, nobody looking around, you may be here this morning. And you say, you know, Pastor, I didn't have that godly influence in my life growing up. My mom, dad, they did the best they could. But they didn't know these things that you're talking about because they didn't impart it to me. And I think that they loved me enough if they'd have known these things, these truths, these standards of, uh, of God's word, then they would have given it to me. But it's quite obvious that they didn't have somebody pass it along to them. 
If you're here this morning, you feel that way, then make a decision that you're going to find out so that you can give it to your children. And if you've made mistakes as a parent, you're not the first and you won't be the last. But you don't have to make it twice. Next time around, just get up and say, you know what, I'm going to go pray. Take your children by the hand. Go pray with them. Teach them before they go to bed at night. Ask them about their day. Ask them, say, listen, let's just pray together. Let's forgive that so-and-so that picked on you today. Let's just go ahead and let's deal with this right now. And let's, let's ask God to, for, to forgive them for what they did. You forgive them. Teach them not to carry a grudge. Take advantage of the time, which is not very long, that we have with them. Now, Lord, I just ask for blessings upon these mothers and dads today, but especially the mothers. Blessings upon them. Lord, I thank you that they hear your word today and they realize and see the impact that they're having upon their children. That every single day, they're molding and fashioning and shaping their children in a direction. And it's for life. And so, Lord, we thank you that you give them grace, that empowerment to do it and do it well, that strength, and most of all, that perseverance that they won't quit, that they'll keep going. Lord, I call them blessed today. Let them have a great Mother's Day. Let them go out to eat and have favor. Let them enjoy their children. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.